freedom free free freedom over fame free free freedom over f- cycle stays the same Hi, you're listening to Project Mankind Podcast. We are your hosts, Thomas. And I'm Jim. We're just a couple of guys who love Jesus, who are passionate in helping people find their purpose and helping them to align their purpose with the kingdom principles that Christ has laid down. As men, we often find ourselves struggling with the stresses of life, money, sex, relationship issues, past hurts, preventing us from becoming leaders God created us to be. We give practical advice in these areas through discipleship, as Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, and by sharing our own personal stories and testimonies. We invite you to join us in our conversations as we challenge ourselves to find higher ways to deal with our struggles and the courage to implement them. It's time to claim your freedoms and use the authority God has given us and learn to lead like a lion and reign like our king. All right, guys, welcome back to Project Mankind. We're here again. This is Thomas, your host, and Jim, Dr. Slaughter. How are you guys doing? So we're glad to be back. And I don't know if you guys were listening to our last episode, but the last episode we had, we had a great, great episode, and we had our special guest, Raul Andres Garcia, and uh, we were just talking to him in regards to how he found Christ, or in this case, how Christ pursued him. Mm -hmm. And we had such a great in-depth conversation with him. I asked him after the the segment end, if he wouldn't mind coming back as a a guest again to the next episode. So, um, you know, he's back with us today. And I am so happy and honored that he came back. And Jim and I, you know, of course, we have a lot of questions for him in regards to, you know, the next stages of his life after he got saved, after he received Christ and how, you know, how Christ worked in his life and now working through his life. So we are very excited to bring Raul Andres Garcia back. Hey, Raul, welcome back to the show, man. You know, I said it last episode. I'll say it again. It's an honor. Honor is something you give. It's something that you are called and responsible to respond in a situation to because it's an act and a heart posture response if, you, if there's true humility in your heart. And so it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to acknowledge you guys for putting me here on, on this show and to hopefully have your listeners tune in and share. And I pray that it ripples into eternity, as I always say. And so I, uh, I appreciate you guys having me again. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm sure from our last segment that we're probably going to have a lot of questions for you. And so, you know, uh, I know Jim and I both have (laughs) questions for you for sure, because of the fact that, you know, we got so interested in your story. We're like, man, we got to bring this guy back. So I'm so glad that you're back here with us and we can talk a little bit more. Many of you who don't know Raul, Raul Garcia started a company called Best Bodies for Life. And if you were listening to the previous segment, he talked about how he was unhealthy in high school, how he came across this trainer who basically, out of the whim, out of the blue, uh, you know, started to provide him some interest and in giving him some information about health, you know, protein, etc. And it, that turned into a company which he became a sole provider for for his, for his family. And so this company that we're talking about, Best Bodies for Life, it's a protein company. Uh, They sell supplements, uh, protein supplements. They're now in every central market. They are also on HEB shelves. They just opened up a uh, a new line in Chicago. Uh, What what is the store called again in Chicago? Jewel Osco. They're owned by Albertsons. So Jewel Osco. So so it has expanded from, you know, a little 19-year-old, you know, losing weight and everything to the point where his company is now pretty much everywhere. And we're praying nationwide on this one, become global in a sense. But another thing about this company that he started is that it actually has an outreach behind it. And so there's a verse on the back of every label of every product that he sells. 
and also a lot of the uh, some of the proceeds go into a outreach called Go Overflow. And we're going to have him talk about that a little bit more here in a second. But I just wanted to bring that out there. And the other part of that, and when he talked about it in the last segment, is that uh, we both serve in a ministry that he started. It's called Deep Love Ministries, and it's a outreach to the unsheltered people. It started in Deep Ellum, and now it's in Fort Worth. And we also reach to the people of Houston. And this is very specific to the people on the street, people on, you know, unsheltered, those who are struggling to to get into housing. Um, you know, he talked about people who were abused and, and everything else. And you can talk about every horrific thing that can happen to people. We've heard every story. And I tell you, it is such an honor to serve with him every time we're out there. And we're currently partnered with a church called Freedom in Worship, which we do that in the Fort Worth location where we serve every third Sunday of the month. So we're going to talk about all of this ministry because this is what God lit a fire in him to get started. And now we're in that space where we can talk about it a little bit more uh, to the other side after he challenged God uh, into proving himself for who he is and, you know, our God doesn't back down anything. So, man, I appreciate you coming back, man. I really do. And uh, Jim, uh, you know, I know you have a lot of questions for Raul, man. So, yeah, let's let's start it off. Yeah, one of the questions I had, I, and people who have uh, watched the show before and listened to it uh, in our podcast and everything know a little bit of a little bit of my background. You know, my wife and I have a we run a uh, mental health clinic. We're very much into supplementing and and that kind of thing. We lead people into understanding a little bit more about that too. We're counselors and life coaches. But I was saying that we run into uh, folks often who have obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, which is on the, the darker end of that, or people people who simply struggle with their own obsessions, they get obsessed, they can't shut their brains off about something. And, um, and we were, you mentioned, and I think this is true, that there are times, you know, there's, there are parts of that that can be really, really helpful and can be useful and really good for the kingdom, you know, and, um, but, and we were also aware that there, there really are two parts of us, you know, as human beings, uh, we have, in fact, you you could talk about two parts in different ways, but uh, we often help people see when it comes to a personality, who God has made us to be and how we operate, how we see the world and that kind of thing, that we have a true self and we have a false self. And I, in my in my head, biblically and theologically, I link up the, the false self more with the flesh. It's that part of us that wants it, kind of wants its own way, wants to do its own thing, and uh, usually leads us into darkness in one way or another. And then there's the more the true self that is more of our spiritual self. And and I like to see that part of us as who we really are, although the other part of us can be very active. And so I, I was wondering about, you know, how, how do we harness, how, or maybe how you how have you harnessed that obsessiveness that you noted in yourself? And I've also seen in my work that obsessiveness and perfectionistic thinking and, and behavior tend to go together. Just knowing some things about you just briefly tells me actually a lot about you. I feel like I know... A lot about you because of some of the brief yeah. things that you've shared because I know about that kind of thing. And uh, so I was wondering, how have you harnessed that the obsessiveness so that it works for good, works for the kingdom? And it just may be the power of God in you now that the Lord reigns. I don't know, but but how would you how would you address that? Wow, what a question. We're going into the deep end right off the bat. Well, I'm gonna lead with a scripture actually. It came okay. to mind as you as you were as you were talking, which is a scripture that I think even the even someone who doesn't walk and follow Christ should or have heard it in some way or some form. It's tied to the golden rule as well, which is the greatest commandment that we ever got. It's in Luke ten twenty seven and it's also in Matthew twenty two thirty seven. As I as I read it, 
I uh, invite you to be tempted to finish the phrase for me um, when I'm speaking to the listener. And it says to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And then it says might or strength. Mm-hmm. Really what it's communicating, it's with every part of the being. There's three persons in, in God, but there's also three aspects to a human being. There's body, soul, and spirit. We're a three-part being just as God is. And so he's telling us to love him with every part of who we are represented here on this side of heaven. And so when you break down love, it's actually, it goes into the definition of worship and adoration. Well, when you go into that, it has very similar definitions to obsession, to adore something, to worship something. You have to be in a borderline state of obsession to actually get to a place where you can worship something. You have to be so utterly persuaded by something, convinced by something that you can't see anything but that one thing, right? That's why you know, you see it with men, with women, when they're, when they're obsessed with a girl, you got a high school kid that just is just got his first relationship. And if you have that younger crowd listening in some capacity obsessed, they can't see past that relationship. School becomes unimportant. Family becomes unimportant. Everything that you would consider priorities all of a sudden become nothing of priority or importance to him because it's like having tunnel vision. You can only see the one thing that you're staring at. Well, Christ is calling us to do that with him. Well, what he does is that as we focus, fix, and then essentially worship and keep our eyes on him, he then actually points back to our lives and starts to reflect and mold and prune and cut and shape us to reflect the image we're staring at. Because the longer you stare at something, the more you start looking like the thing you're staring at. Right. So the man think it, so the man becomes, Proverbs says. And so I share all that with you because I could probably use a hundred other analogies in light of obsession and, and what it means. But I recognize the fact that at an early age, when I had this obsessiveness toward to do anything, some people would communicate that with quote unquote addictions, substance abuse, alcohol. But really, we're addicted to something all the time. Why? Because he gave us parts of our being to worship him. And so I always say, if you're not persuading someone, you're being persuaded by somebody. If you're not persuaded by something, something is persuading you. If you don't know or have enough information about food, food is probably persuading you on a constant basis. There is no difference between anything else that you are being influenced by in a high capacity. And so to answer your question, and I hope it does, I'll, I'll lead into another analogy and hopefully practical story for me as a kid, as a guy, as a man, considering the audience you guys said, and considering the context of this podcast, as a man, you typically only think about just a couple of things when you're growing up. And women and sex are probably at the top of that list. To some extent, a lot of the things you do is because you're so obsessed with that one thing. Now, it has nothing to do with sex. You think it is but you become obsessed with it. I got to get a job. I got to make money because if I get money, then it affects and influences the quality of woman I will have. And the quality of woman attends to the type of physical look of that woman and so on and so forth. It influences everything. You become obsessed with that type of line of framework of thinking. But with all that to be said, you become obsessed to do all these decisions because of one thing you're keeping your eyes fixed on. However, if you keep your eyes on that one thing, you begin to get closer toward that goal. If you shift your your view and you start fixing your eyes on something else, as Christ calls you to, all of a sudden, everything else starts to become influenced by that. And so I remember there was one time when I was having to wrestle with the thought, and I shared in the last episode about marriage and sex, 
when I just, I thought it was just ridiculous that he would ask me to wait till marriage. I thought he was, it was ridiculous that he was asking anybody to do that. Honestly, mm-hmm. I'm like something so pivotal. And so something so important in the marital context, well, how do I know that it won't just to be candid, it won't be terrible. What if that's right. terrible? Mm-hmm. Well, the beautiful thing is, is that you find out that that act has nothing to do with the physical aspect of that. act. It has to do with the mental, physiological, psychological. And of course, all of those three are affected by the spiritual response that happens mm-hmm. when that physical act happens. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, how can I have such a quality of sex life and not even be married yet? Well, by influencing and discipling and stewarding and obsessing over my marriage before I'm ever married. And so before I was obsessed with sex, now I recognize that if I want a really healthy sex life, I need to become obsessed with my marriage. Now with my wife's body or with my own body, so we both can look the part and not be insecure when we take our clothes off. But so I become obsessed with knowing how to serve her like Christ serves the church, even in the marital bed. And that's not by watching porn. That's by recognizing that the posture of Christ before his bride is to sacrifice. And so even in in its most raw fashion, you better learn that a woman is a emotional being. And if you don't know how to connect emotionally, then you have you're going to have a terrible sex life because you're going to try to connect with her emotionally through your physical act and you're going to have gaps of miles in between. But I only learned that by learning who Christ told me my wife is as I was praying for her. And so my answer to your question, I hope this makes sense to the listener, is that anyone that's obsessed with anybody, a diet, a woman, sex, an object, a thing, a goal, it's not that difficult to pivot that uh, goal into a different goal, like me between sex and now obsessing over my marriage, when you become persuaded. And I think that's the issue with the culture we live in is no one's persuaded that that's mm-hmm. more important. No mm-hmm. one's utterly convinced. It's just like the person who's seeking after the, the needle. They're persuaded that that needle is the only solution because they've tasted. And so therefore the taste of that needle has persuaded their mind that if I do take that needle, whatever I'm going through, will take the pain away. And so how do you get somebody to be utterly so persuaded that the needle is not nearly as powerful as the cross? Well, it takes time. Yeah. But can you? Absolutely. It took time for me. It actually took time for that person to be convinced that they should stick that needle in their arm. It's not that simple of a decision. People say, well, it just, I just took a puff and I bought it. No, you didn't. It takes a huge gap of a decision even to take a drink of alcohol. That's why you have to fall into the pressure of it it's because it took pressure for you to fall into it. It's no difference between that and something that he considers holy and actually worthwhile being obsessed by. And so I would say that would be my response is you have to first pivot and make sure that what you're pivoting to is pleasing to him, but then learn that it's going to take time for you to be obsessed by it because of how persuaded you are by it. And once you do, you're obsessed with something that will give you a pleasure and outcome and a result way beyond the long-term response of whatever you're obsessed with currently that he is not pleased with. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Well said. Well said. Good answer. Thank you so much for addressing that. And I wasn't trying to throw you something hard or a curveball, but uh, (laughs) you you really, really handled that well. You thought through some of these things already, obviously. And uh, so I just want to say thanks, Raul. Good, good job. No, it's Thank my you. pleasure. I'm not, yeah. I hope it. I hope it. I hope it. You know, administers to. You know, the, there's truth in the word that says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good." Just from what you're saying in itself, 
if you get to taste the Lord, you'll be obsessed with it. It's like a drug that is just like all it takes is one hit and you don't want anything else after that. And so what it's interesting enough that I had recently, we just came from a men's retreat not long ago, probably like a few weeks back. And in a place called Refuge Ranch out in Abilene, and I was talking to the owner of this place, which a uh, totally different story. I'm, we're probably going to have him on a podcast one of these days. But just to get back to the story, we were in the kitchen one time and he saw me cooking and he said, Thomas, I, I have this vision, but it's incomplete. I, I wanted to see if I can throw it, you know, run it by you and then you can tell me. And he said that I want this place to be a place where every person, every religion, every culture gathers. And this is his vision for this location, for this place, because it's it's open right now to the public, but not a lot of people know about it. But in that community, it's well known to be a gathering place. But he wanted to turn the gathering place from a restaurant gathering place, music festival, to a more faith-based Christian environment. So when he opened this, when it was given to him, this was actually given to him, uh, by somebody. Again, that's a long story. The, immediately, God gave him a vision, but it was incomplete. But while we were there, Jim, God showed him a, a different vision, and he was he was sharing that with me. And so once, as he was sharing it with me, it became very clear and evident what God was trying to show him. When he said that he wants this place to be a gathering place for every culture and every religion, I immediately said, you know, if you're going to invite people they're going to come with their own faith. They're going to come with their own beliefs, and they're going to come with a strong belief about their faith. And I said, honestly, I said, that's a great segment because you don't have to do anything except to just maybe, in your words, Raul, just turn their obsession from their belief into what you're obsessed with and let them be convinced through the Holy Spirit that is exactly what they need to do. They're going. God is going to reveal Himself to them, and when He heard that, he, a light bulb moment came to him, and he was like, "Oh my God, can I, can I, can I record this conversation, please? Because I have this other vision. Like every place, every culture, doesn't matter what your religion is. We're going to bring a dish. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a meal. You're going to introduce your dish to the, to us, and we're just going to share it. And then I have a table that I want to put in the middle of this field. It's a sixty acre field. I want to put a table in the middle of the field, and as more people come, we're just going to keep adding." Tables. Table, and we're going to keep adding chairs and we're going to keep inviting people. So his vision became clear that our obsession can be switched to a different obsession. You can be obsessed with something that you might think is right, but then when you're, when you're introduced to something better, you can switch that obsession. You're already carrying it with you, right? So in Jim's point, he was talking about the obsession being used for good in your way, the way you you described it. Basically, the obsession that you that you had before is now directed towards God's obsession, and now His will and your will are aligned, and now it's being used for the, for His kingdom. And that's an amazing thing, Raul. So thank you for sharing that, man. Yeah, I will say this. I don't know. It just brought it came to my mind when you when you when you mentioned that because I think it hits on Jim's question. So it can go from a philosophical idea or concept and more into a practical, hopefully, discipleship mo- moment. And I think it, I wasn't going to share this, but then you you gave that example, and I think it's a good one. There was a moment when I was sitting on a plane. I was on my way to Qatar, which is in the Middle East, very close to Dubai. And I was in Emirates, which is 90% Muslim. They offer a Quran in the screen but versus a Bible for you to read when you're in there. 
And so most of the flight attendants are Muslim. I go to the back for some fruit. They make a joke saying, oh, you're one of those healthy people. I'm like, well, I guess, I guess, sure. And as I'm half asleep, because um, it's in the middle of the night, it's an 18-hour flight, I, I get asked, well, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going on a mission trip to Africa. And they said, oh, uh, what kind of mission trip? And I said, Jesus. Well, I find out that they're Muslim. And they said, well, we believe in Jesus. And I'm like, well, I think you have a different Jesus, but we can definitely talk about that. And I have to p- pray through. The reason I bring this story up is because I have to ask the Lord, how do you want me to go into this conversation? And I think it mm-hmm. hits on the aspect of pivoting somebody's obsession by being persuaded mm-hmm. by the fact that the, the obsession I have to offer is something worthwhile being obsessed. Because one thing is saying, look, Christ is the thing you should be obsessed by. And the Muslims having to dig through 30 or 40 or even 10 years worth of information from their family and their friends and cultural tradition and love and their own understanding of their own faith. And you saying, well, my five minute conversation with you is going to convince me of my 10 years worth of history of what I believe. And so you have to very quickly not say that you shouldn't use discernment. Every conversation is different. But in that moment, and I hope it ministers to somebody, I asked the question to the women that were asking me the questions about Jesus that I was led to ask. And I asked them a question that only Christ could answer, but every human being yearns for. And I know a lot does not offer. And so that is why it's so important. And Paul does this with Athens. Um, if you read the book of Acts, which is, I asked the women a very simple question. And I asked them, does a law say that he loves women? And I didn't ask it arrogantly. I didn't ask it sarcastically. I just said, I'm curious because you're talking about my Jesus. Tell me about your law. How does he feel about women? And it was a very circle-ended answer because I know the answer to it and they know the answer to it. First of all, they're not allowed to read the book themselves. They're not allowed to connect to a lot themselves. And so I continued my line of questioning without sarcasm, without lack of compassion, with compassion, understanding, but truly keeping my sense of ignorance because if I obviously came off as I already knew the answer, it would ruin the conversation. Then I it led into what everybody yearns for. Everybody wants love. That's the reason why it's every topic on TV and movies. It's been the most distorted thing in the last decade or probably century. And so I asked them at the end, after I asked them questions, I asked them about value of women because they were all women. So I consider my audience as Ephesians 4 talks about what is the value of women in the Islamic faith. I asked them about how does your home life look like? Tell me more about men are supposed to in light of what Allah teaches. And so I just asked questions. And I realized that the answers that they were giving me would lead them to have a craving, find a gap in their obsession, find a reason for that Mm. obsession to be something that's actually creating a bigger hole than they even realized. And so when I asked the last question, does does Allah love you? Well, it never says that he does. Actually says that he can turn his back on you at any point, even when you have reached paradise. And so I said, well, do you know what Christ says about marriage, women, the home? men's life, husband's life, women. And I didn't have to ask those questions. They then asked me those same questions because now they were curious. And so I didn't have to change their opinion or change their obsession. I pointed out a hole in their obsession without having to do it myself. They could recognize it all on their own. And then recognizing that by that, most people, what do you, what do people do when you ask them their age? Right after you ask them, how old are you? What do they typically ask you? (laughs) How old do you think I am? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's common psychology. If I ask them a question and they didn't like the answer that they were going to give me, they want to prove me wrong too. Mm. The beautiful thing is, is that they actually ended up asking me a question that had an answer that actually offered them a much better answer. 
as we know Christ offers. So I hope that encourages the listener in light of what do you do in those moments to go into a practical position of how to Mm -hmm. really offer them an obsession that we know is long lasting, eternal and, and fruitful, but then actually persuade them to think that it is before they actually think it is. Yeah. That's amazing, man. I'm so glad you brought that up. And, you know, that's a great point, Raul. And, you know, everybody has is obsessed with something. And Jim brought up a great point about obsession. You know, how do we harness our obsession and use it for a more fruitful way versus one that's dis- that destroys you, right? Because we can yeah. definitely go into a dark hole and be obsessed with everything and, and and have what they call anxiety and depression and go down a spiral hole. And really, you know, I'm not a psychologist and definitely not a life coach like Jim is, Dr. Jim, but I have dealt with that in a personal way. And so in that case, it's really an obsession about everything that is within you. And, and really, it's not an external thing, it's an internal thing. So a lot of time they fix it by focusing on something external, you know, which is kind of weird because we're looking too much inside of us versus looking outside of us and, and seeing the one who created us. But man, you know, let's talk about a certain obsession that you have, because there's an obsession that you have that I know you're let's not call it obsession. It's a passion. You know, let's talk about the That's passion that you have. I like that word. Yeah. The passion that you have for health, not just for health, but for your ministry. Uh, so I want to talk about, you know, in regards to your company, your best bodies for life. Uh, we know that you guys started back in high school, but let's talk about the the the, the story behind the the company in itself, uh, the labeling, the packaging, and, and, and you kind of briefly touched on uh, the outreach that's attached to the the company itself. Um, so tell us about the company, man, Best Bodies for Life, uh, you know, what it is and what it does and how it reaches many people. Well, as you guys heard in the last segment, it starts with the, the personal health journey I went through. At freshman year in high school, going into sophomore year, I got my diagnosis, pre-diabetes. And then I also found out that I had some type of symptomatic situation that pointed to Crohn's. I didn't get diagnosed as most autoimmune situations can't really get diagnosed. Very quickly recognized that I had some type of autoimmune that really looked like Crohn's, which is a gut ingestional and digestional autoimmune that a lot of people have. And then I also had obesity to just compound with it all. And most people think obesity is is a disease. Well, in some capacities, yes, you could say it is by diagnosis, but it's a byproduct of something. It's a byproduct for sure. The disease. Yeah. Uh, I think obesity is like a emergency light on your cart. You don't Mm. say, well, I'm written with an emergency light. No, emergency light is telling you, hey, go diagnose the car to find out what's actually going on there. And so I got hit with all these three different things. And these three emergency lights, so to speak, popped up in my dashboard of life at a really early age. And because I was already very driven, obsessive, as we were talking about, (laughs) I had decided that through this guy that I walked into a gym one night, two in the morning or something like that, I didn't want to be when other people were there. I could speak to my own insecurities. I'm sure that a lot of people can empathize considering I hated how I looked. And so I didn't want to work out with other people. I didn't want them to see how badly I looked while working out, etc. And so I'd go when no one was there. Gentleman walks in, little to my knowledge that I know that he'd been watching me for several weeks now that I've been going. And he says, um, how old are you? I'm like, who are you? And this conversation begins in regards to him then asking me, look, I don't know who, you know, what you're trying to accomplish, but all I'm telling you is you're hurting yourself more than helping yourself. And so he begins to tell me about how nutrition is 70% of the work and, you know, 
working out is a 30 or 20%, you know, it gives me these statistics and I don't know anything. So I'm just like, okay. And he looks the part. So eventually I find out that he's a nutritional functional coach for the Miami dolphins. And he knows what he's talking, talking about apparently. (laughs) And he tells me, you know, you got to focus on your digestion and your gut health and your joints. And you want to be functional when you're older. You don't want to be like me because he was actually pretty muscular um, and then not being able to be functional. And so I said, okay, well, what do you recommend? And so he puts me on this little concoction of supplements that I knew nothing about. But as I told my mom about it, she said, well, let's do it together. She was already a diabetic. She was on med- medication and she had a whole bunch of other issues. So we begin to do this little regimen together. And this little regimen leads us to, it's a long story, but leads us to 12 months later, you know, my mom gets off the meds. I am no longer on the spectrum. Um, my A1C is leveled out. I don't need to get on meds. My digestion issues are at least from my own experience, not there anymore. Tested it by eating certain foods that used to affect me. To this day, I can eat those foods. Do I choose to eat them? No, but can. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, this is crazy. And so not only was I down over 80 pounds, but all these more serious issues were getting dealt with. And so then of course, people ask you, well, how do you do it? So now I'm a a sophomore year, a sophomore in high school. People see how you were 43 inch waist in freshman year. And now I'm a 31 inch waist. And they're like, what did you do? Because you didn't have that big of a growth spread. (laughs) And I just, I just told them, I didn't realize that it was going to turn into this whole thing called actually at the time it was called FINT. And it was a little acronym I created called failure is not trying, which it's probably a textual version of my life of how I operated, which I thought that failure wasn't an option. And so I thought that it played the same part with fitness. And so I called it Fint and I thought it rhymed with fitness and <laughs> fitness. So I was like, great, this is, this is great. Well, next thing you know, I'm a senior and my county funds a smoothie bar for my high school. And there's a whole health club and whole movement and I'm helping teachers and principals and students and workouts and parking lots. And I'm doing this little nutritional plan. I'm having people take this and take that. The underlining vein though, behind everything was this little concoction of stuff that everybody I had take. Everybody had a different workout. Everybody had a different routine. Everybody was dealing with something, but I, but everybody I told focus on inflammation, focus on gut health. I don't care if you look like you're, you're, you're healthy as a star focus on these things. And so I kind of gave everybody the same protocol. Not that everyone has the same solution, but I I was also ignorant in some capacity still. And so my naivety also played as a strength in that time because everybody did happen to have gut issues that I that I helped. And everybody did happen to have inflammation issues. And we all, I think, have inflammation issues because of the food that we eat. And so all of a sudden, I have this passion that's birthed, developed, I don't know but there for sure. And all of a sudden my desire for money and growth is also there, but it's tainted by the fact that what I thought I was going to do after high school, I find out I hate because I took an internship with a bank. I hated it. So I turned down all the school scholarships I had. And I said, I'm going to just go for this whole health thing. I'm going to create a product on the bait on the proxy of all these people telling me I should. And if they said I should, then I mean, I'm sure millions would want me to as well. Again, you're young, you think 
success is like one door away. And so I did. I told my mom I wasn't going to college anymore. She had her own emotional response based on that. Sure, everybody else can have uh, their imagination do that part in light of what they think, how my mom responded. Drove across state lines and I began working on what this eventually became Best Bodies for Life. I was not a Christian when I came up with the name. That's the fascinating part of this whole thing. Wow. We actually did a segment on that on our social media page for the company, which is I just came up with it one day. We're, me and my uncle had started the company. He's no longer with the company, but when we started it, he was there. And we were just trying to think through, you know, nutritional companies and what would be a good name and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I don't have a branding degree. I don't have a marketing degree. I don't have a business. I don't have a degree, period. I barely got out of high school alive. And we're coming up with a name and Best Bodies for Life just like rang. And then we just came up with a little silhouette and we just decided, well, this is it. Let's go with it. Didn't think anything of it. What I didn't realize was that as they, as everybody, and for those that haven't heard it, as as the Lord began to pursue me, God had given me that name and inspired that name in me. Just as he has inspired the word, he says that he has written it. He has written the law on our hearts. And that's why everybody, even the atheist, can experience love, can experience peace, can experience what and have an of subconscious understanding of what right and wrong is is because it's there it's inside them it's dead and it's not ruling and reigning over their lives but it's there amen and because of that i recognize he was inspiring and inscribing something in me before i even recognized that he was even there and so fast forward when i begin to walk with him this business is nowhere it's actually about to go bankrupt literally not to be hyperbolic but literally go bankrupt i'm working three jobs my parents my dad doesn't have a job my mom barely has a job she has a part-time job i'm working at three restaurants serving tables night shifts day shifts and whatever shifts the other job the other restaurant will give me and i'm barely making ends meet and i have 400 pounds of vanilla and chocolate sitting in my uncle's living room in a whole bunch of little boxes a product that i developed based on me thinking that anyone that would hear about this would want it. And not that they didn't, but the idea that you just create something and everybody would just start beginning to buy it was just what it was. And so I found out very quickly that I had to put that aside because it wasn't going to be that easy. And the guy that was going to help me launch it had passed away from cancer. And so no longer I had a marketing quote unquote strategy. And so I just focused on my work and that dream began to die. What I didn't realize is that as that dream was dying, I was dying. And until I died completely, both the dream and myself couldn't be resurrected. And so it wasn't until I was about six, four, I don't remember, a time walking with Christ that I eventually looked at, I had spent in my time with him, I asked him and I looked at the Lord and I just said, was the reason I moved out here solely for the purpose of this, meaning my walk with you and my parents' salvation and so on and so forth. And he just gave me a very like, not snarky, but very just eyes closed, head down, thought in my mind enters Nope. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'll bite. Then why? And this line of questioning started to funnel through my mind. I think it's important that I diagnose that because I, I used to be so annoyed with people who used to say, I heard God tell me such and such thing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Hmm. And so not to go into how to hear God discipleship course right now, but this line of thoughts started to funnel into my mind because he had decluttered my mind after he renews your mind. He makes room for you to recognize what it sounds like when he speaks through your thought life. But I'm not going to go into that so far, but I wanted to explain that just briefly. And so I started getting this line of questioning. And one of those questions is, would you have served and sacrificed your time to serve your mom and getting her because she eventually started a business as well that we own as well now? 
would you have helped her if I would have served your cause of her first? And it, it, it was like such a sarcastic question from the Lord <laughs> because he knows that the answer is no. <laughs> but I was like, well, no. And he says, would you have served your own interest first? And I said, well, yeah. Would you have just handed her a check? And I said, yeah, probably. And he said, well, that's my point. I said, well, I'm still lost. So what does that mean? Well, eventually he says, I gave you this business for a purpose, but I needed you to learn how to serve others before you began to serve a greater purpose for me. And so before I could build the kingdom, I needed to teach you how to build my kingdom before I gave you something that elevated you to build your own. And so it was a whole process. But eventually he speaks to me and he says, do you know why the name of the business is called Best Bodies for Life? And I'm like, well, no, I'll bite. Why? Because considering I was been, I've been wrong this whole time, why don't you tell me? And he says, he takes me to 1 Corinthians 6.19, which is a scripture that's actually right there on the front of the bag. And it's Paul talking to the Corinthian church about the body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the context of that text, I always want to preface that I know that it has to do with sexual immorality. But the principle, as many things that we learn in the Bible, is still that the body is a temple. Right, period. to honor it. It's just exactly. communicating that it's something holy. Yeah. And so anything that you do that affects, inflects, or influences this temple is a pure reflection of the stewardship that you have over something that he's given you. And the first thing you're given is this body. Even before you gain your identity in him, you have this body. Before you have a relationship with him, you have this body. This is You're giving this before you even know how to steward it. And so, For sure. so that's a whole process with him. And then eventually he says, I gave you my best before you knew what best was, just as I gave you my this body. Hmm. I gave you this body and I gave you it because it has an eternal effect on the body of Christ. And so he goes into this whole line of conversation with best bodies for life, which is Christ gave his best. So I gave you my best and you must give your best. The body is the temple, no matter how way and what way you look at it, every decision choice you make inflicts the body of Christ. And every choice you make has an eternal effect as we're eternally minded and eternally designed. And so therefore for life, is where it comes from. And then he breathes on this vision for the outreach. And the outreach is very simple, but very profound as well. I can go into the whole story, but we'd be here a lot longer. And so I'll just say that in the middle of Africa in a brothel, I have a little girl that I lead to Christ who was a Muslim. Mom's a prostitute. I end up being led to sponsor this little girl. Lord reminds me of the product. At this point, the product's already being sold and he's breathing on it. It's starting to grow. I still don't know what the ministry element. He said he was going to give me a ministry. I still don't know what it is, even though the business is still kind of starting to move forward. And he says, do you remember those kids that you began to sponsor? I had began to sponsor a few kids personally. And I said, yes, I don't write to them. I don't do anything with it. Just send the money every month. And he says, do you remember when I had you do that? And I said, yes. And he says, he immediately gives me this vision once again. And it's the bags being manufactured in our co-packer. And these child's names are being dropped inside of each bag. And it was a visual depiction of what he was going to do to the company. And he says, we're going to build a, gr a bridge between how people choose to sow into their body and how we impact the body of Christ. Hmm. And so every time somebody chooses the best, best bodies for life, they also get to give their best, even if they don't know it. And so every bag that is sold has a direct impact in a child that we sponsor. Not only do we say we give a proceed like 99% of social cost companies do, but the customer actually can scan the code on the bag itself off any store that we are in and see the child, the children, the orphanages, the schools, 
directly that they just made an impact if they so choose to purchase the product. We don't just tell them, hey, this is how much we give, how often we give. It's no, it's you get to see a video directly of the orphanage, the kids, the teachers, everyone. What led us to do this completely? And it's updated. And not only that, it gives them the opportunity to sponsor a child if they want to as well. Wow. So that's that's yeah. best bodies for life, my man. Man, that's amazing, man. And the and the ministry that you were discussing in regards to the partnership with your company is called Go Overflow. And there are ministries. Go Overflow that- is the Go Overflow is the organization we do this through. The ministry is called BBFL Impact. BBFL Impact works with organizations like Go Overflow and other child sponsorship organizations that I'm not allowed to say just for contract written confidentiality agreement wise. But we work with a variety of child sponsorship that work with kids that are being trafficked or kids that are being abused. One of those that we have the ability to communicate on the bag is Go Overflow. But we do work with a few that services several countries. That's awesome. That's amazing. I guess, Jim, I don't know if you are aware of that, but that's something that I mentioned in the past that there's a meaning behind every bag and that for every bag in itself sponsors some child somewhere in this case is uh, we now know the background behind it. Also, I wanted to kind of touch up on a little bit is the the ministry of Deep Love Ministry, which started in Deep Ellum. In your case, it started in the, in a van uh, with some water and some hot dogs, and just you know giving those out. And I remember going with you in Deep Ellum, and that, that was a you know that was a pretty shocking place to be in at that moment because I remember that first time we went there, I saw a man standing in the corner. There's a woman that came by and stopped by, and and she gave this man a hot dog and some water, kind of similar to what you did. And then I, the moment the woman turned around to get back in her car, I saw this man just threw that hot dog out there, threw it back towards her and really didn't want it. You know, they had a different need. But, you know, in regards to the deep love ministry, it wasn't just about the food and it wasn't just about the water. It was really about filling in the gap to get close enough to everyone that needs something to fill their life. And so it expanded from just being a hot dog in the water to clothing, to snacks, to ministry. I know that we have chiropractic care, haircuts. We have partnership that comes out there through Axe Love that provides them some type of guidance through if they want to get out of addiction or try to get in through a housing program. And so we've had several of those testimonies from people who had received housing, uh, who is now in a place where they can, you know, have a job and off of uh, drugs and, and addiction. So things like that. You know, we've also partnered with the ministry out here in Fort Worth that prays over them, you know, helps deliver them through that spiritual bondage that they have. So it has gotten in so much more expanded in so much more avenues in, in God's kingdom than it was when it first started, kind of similar to the story of your company, right? It's... Uh... <laughs> It's been a wild ride. <laughs> I got on a train to get off the next stop, and now I've been on it for three years, and I didn't think I was signing on on a one-way trip. I thought this was a round trip. But yeah, it's it's uh, not to, to dilute my urgency or desire to serve the community, but Deep Love, Deep Elum, as you mentioned, started with just a few friends that had a heart to go and serve people that we thought weren't being served or being serviced by the body of Christ on a consistent basis. Not that we had the means even then to even do it in a consistent basis, but we at least had a heart for them. And so we grabbed what we called the Evangie van, it was my, my work van, and we would pack it with some food, whatever we could find. Sometimes it was hot dogs and then those protein bars, bottled water. We grab a whole bunch of sack of clothes and we just go out there and just hand stuff out and we just pray over people and minister to people and, and that was the entire simplicity of it what i didn't realize was in 2020 i was going to get a call from a good friend and brother of ours and he was going to call me and said hey what are you going to do 
during COVID, literally May 2020. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I, I know you. You're not going. Just stay at home. And I said, mm. uh, well, I can't go to prison. Uh, what I mean by that is I was doing prison ministry. Can't do that anymore. Can't go to Africa because flights are canceled. Can't really do any of the stuff I was doing. So I just go to the streets as long as I'm still allowed to do that my right so i'm gonna do it and so he asked what does that look like because he hadn't been he had never done that before and so i explained to him what we would do in deep ellum i'm just gonna go and do it in fort worth and he says oh wow well you know my kids are coming back from the college and i'd love for them to just do something and i said okay well hold on this isn't something you do to check off a box so i'm gonna tell you this right now do you think you can go out there do this and be all good you kind of change their lives forever give me a break it's not gonna happen right and so he says oh what does that mean? And I said, well, first of all, the people you're going to go and minister to are professional survivalists. They're professional at telling you what you need to hear to give them what you have in the moment, make you feel like you changed their lives, but you really did nothing. And they mm. still got what they wanted. And you felt like you just changed the world in the process, which is the perfect perversion of the ministry that we're called to do, which is both sides feel good, but nothing happened. And so I'm going to tell you right now, if you really want to see impact, you got to be consistent. Consistency is what truly breaks down the walls of those people. Mm. Now, on the side of your kids, I'm going to tell you right now, this may not be their cup of joe. So just be prepared to level your expectations. People out there are not, you know, the church you think you're about to go and deal with. These are people that sometimes haven't showered and sometimes they are breathing the drugs that they just popped up into your face while you're talking to them. Mm -hmm. So you got to level your expectations. So he said, well, let's just do it once. And I said, okay, that's fine. Let's do it once. So we went out there, did the same thing we used to do in Deep Ellum in Fort Worth. And the beautiful thing was his kids didn't like it, as I figured. But he was on his knees helping everybody that came through find the pair of clothes that they needed, the t-shirt sizes they needed. And this is like, you know, high-end Dallas guy, business guy. That is not my expectation of him whatsoever. But that's what he's doing. And so then at the end of the outreach, we decide, well, let's do it again next month and let's just see what happens. Well, what I didn't realize is that now, well, now three years later, but even just by the end of that year, we we're going to have not just clothes and shoes piled up on top of a pile and a sheet on, underneath a canopy. We we're going to have racks. We we're going to have clothing, shoes, belts, chiropractors, the docs that were going with me to Africa. We're not going to be out there. We we're going to have Sorted areas for kids, sorted areas for women, sorted areas for men. We're going to eventually, into the second year, going to have job placement and housing. And then we're going to have now four acres of land and now have transportation and then get a bus. We could bus people to church service. And eventually we're going to have an entire system to follow up with people. I mean, that was not what I signed up for. That's yeah. not what I planned. That's not what I was thinking. I was just trying to get people out of their houses to continue to just walk in accordance to what he's called us to. Mm. Um, and he never plays, you know, he never pressed the button pause just because the world's on pause. That's when he calls us to step up the most. And so that was the only thing that was leading me to do this. What I didn't recognize is I was picking up a much bigger assignment than I recognized. And so that's really deep love now. Deep love has become so much more than just serving and feeding and giving food. It's become something that actually people consider their church, people consider their means of family, their means of connecting with the community, a means of stepping out of their introvertness into a place where they can actually communicate with people that they never thought they would ever even communicate with. I mean, it's become Amen. so much more. Amen. Yeah. You know, it, it reminded me, you know, in regards to 
just your obedience in general. We all know about the story in Matthew 25 with, with the talents. I know everybody has heard that story at church before probably a thousand times, and they've used it in so many demonic ways. You know, it guilts somebody into doing something they didn't really want to do. But the story in itself is just really about faith and obedience and knowing the heart of the master. And so in your case, right, in your case, when, when you were called to do certain tasks in the case where you started your company from the ground up out of your kitchen, you know, in this case, when you started the ministry, it's the master giving you something in your hand, a talent. It's a way to measure. And he gave you something and it's up to you basically to do what you think is best and, and obey in what is right for that, what he has given you. And as you can see, it, it it grew in this manner to where how many volunteers are there every month? How many people are involved in this thing? How many organizations are now attached to this? I think it, it's just a great testament of the fact that, you know, Jesus tried to describe this in parables, but in reality, this is how the kingdom of heaven works. So it's amazing. Uh, Jim, uh, you know, you've been quiet over there. I didn't know if you have any questions for Raul in regards to the ministry <laughs> or anything, but I know you've been listening, my man. I have been listening and uh... Uh, kind of struck with it all and how it began, Raul, and, and even continued, you know, and what, what it turned into. And it's just a testimony of the power of God and His willingness to speak to and through people and, and that kind of thing. Those two parables in 25 there, in Matthew 25, really have to do with what we should be doing as we wait for Christ to return and set up His kingdom. Mm. And so I'm thinking there are some specific interpretations of them, and there are some more general, broader interpretations of them. So a good question to ask is, what am I doing with what God's given me? Amen. Am I? Uh, and, and you're right, Thomas, I think it has to do with understanding, knowing the heart of the Master. And it's not that he was just a tough guy, tough man, hard man, the, the servants say, I knew you were a hard man, blah, blah, blah. It's not just that. I think there was a kind of expectation that the, the three guys were aware of that the, uh, the Master had for them and what he had given them. He wanted them to use it for good and to multiply the benefit of it, you know. And uh, the one guy just basically said, I don't, in his heart, in his mind, he was saying, I don't care what I think he might want. I'm just going to hide this so that if he doesn't come back, see, they're waiting for Christ to return. That's the idea of the, right. of the parable. And so if he doesn't come back, at least I have this one talent. You know, and that's mine, and nobody can take that from me. And so this guy had such a, a greedy, selfish, and minimal view, really, of Christ or of the Master and the Kingdom and all. And so I, I think in this parable, it should stimulate us, motivate us, move, move us, cause us to think about where we are with what we've been given. You know, part of our humanness is to receive from God gifts, talents, abilities, those kinds of things, you know? And so, and the scriptures are really clear, and I can't remember if it was you or, or, or maybe Raul was talking about the idea of stewardship. You know, God, he's made us stewards of what we have. And, and you know, we become aware that we didn't we didn't earn any of what we have. Not We didn't earn it. We didn't, you know, it's not because we're so smart or so clever or anything like that. God has given us these things. And so, a part of what you know, our understanding of Christ and mission and the kingdom and all of that is that I'm going to do something with what he's given me. Hmm. And everybody has different kinds of gifts and talents and stuff like that and, and uh, skills and whatever it may be. 
we're we're moved as we as we hear the words of Christ in those parables in that parable to take what we have to use it for good until Jesus comes and to increase the size of the kingdom in that way from our own little vantage point and perspective. That's what I was thinking, you know, in all of that. The thing is, it goes so far beyond our abilities and even our plans and dreams and things like that. God multiplies it as we offer ourselves in service, you know, and we have a desire that we want God to use us and use whatever it is that he's made us good at. Uh, God will multiply that if we invite him to do that and move out of the way a little bit so that he can do that. And so I think that, you know, what role, what you've shared and when it comes to your life and listening to God and what God is saying to you, some people, I think, go through life, never hear God speak, you know, and and I have to, I want to hear God speak. And so, you know, I think that's a huge part of it. And I I love hearing that from you and hearing that about you. I think that's a a very special thing. It's not so unique that other people can't experience it, though. I think we get in the way of ourselves sometimes. You know, I got to have to move out of my own way and invite God to to take that over. But I, I believe that when we do that, God will multiply what we have. And so then if we're of a mind to offer that in his service to the kingdom and wherever we are, in that right now, then then I think God will bless that, you know. So that's what I'm thinking as I'm hearing all this, you know, and wow. thinking about Matthew 25 and the parable of the servants, you know. Yeah, man. Man, I, before we close out this segment, I, you know, I, I sent Raul some questions in regards to our, him being a guest. And I want to ask this one question, and I want him to to say it in his own words, and in, in his own composition. So the question is, what if in 150 years the world is destroyed and all that is left is a book about your life? What would the title be? And what would the blurb tell us about you? Raul, that is the question, and I wanted to see, I want to hear you answer that for our audience and for ourselves here, if you don't mind. I remember when you sent me the question. It's a deep question, another one. I believe I wrote, this is something I I really prayed and pondered about. I think the title and the blurb, I pray that it is. You never do know until that day comes, right? But I pray that it is, which is uh, consistency over relevancy. And what I mean by that is that I really, I always say this, you know, people have this whole love languages thing in our society, which some people it's quality time. Some people say it's words of affirmation, physical touch, so on and so forth. I personally, I'm not a words guy as much as people always applaud and, you know, affirm me with how well I articulate. Words aren't actually the way that I really connect in a loving fashion. It's acts of service, actually. Mm-hmm. But I say all that because of the fact that I think in regards to just how we connect with others and how I believe we're called to connect with the world and minister to the world, one of the biggest issues that I had was the lack of consistency, the lack of just understanding that if you just keep persevering through, not only is the process what God is after, and you are chasing the fruit because he's giving you a vision. And so therefore, it's something that you want to, you want to go to the promised land. So therefore, the process becomes what's in between you and the promised land. So you're willing to go through the the process to get there. But the process is actually what God's after because the character that's being built through it, but it requires consistency. And so most people get to a place where they start with consistency, but eventually it becomes about relevancy. How relevant is my message? How relevant is my life? How relevant is my impact? How relevant is the thing that I am doing? Does people know? Do people care? Versus just consistency and recognizing the fact that consistency is 
the definition, in my opinion, of success in a Christian scope. We all pray for that, those magical words when we get to heaven, right? We all know what those words are, at least if we're Christians, which is well done, good and faithful servant. Well, two of those words are the fruit of the Spirit. One of those words, faithful, encompasses what we always generate to hope to hear when we get to heaven, which is faithfulness. That's the definition of success. Well, what's faithfulness? Well, faithfulness is the propagation of consistency. If you're consistent if you're in your marriage, if you're consistent in your job, if you're consistent in your relationship with Christ, if you're consistent in your trial, if you're consistent in your health and your nutrition, there's fruit behind that consistency. As a matter of fact, I've never seen a man that perseveres through even something that maybe he even took the frontage road and, and got deviated or distracted and maybe isn't on the road that he was intended to, where God did not pull a Romans 8.28, where he did not work it out for a good, where he didn't grab the flour and the, the sugar and the eggs and looked at these three things that by themselves don't really have much value, but then he puts them together and turns them into cake. And so he can grab all those three things, all those three acts of disobedience on your road of consistency and make it into something great. But stagnancy and relevancy can be something that actually leads you into a place where I've just seen so much downfall and so much, so much darkness in light of somebody that was truly intending to walk faithfully with God. And so I would say that my hope is that consistency would be the word people would know me by. I'm consistent in the way that I talk, the way that I show up, the way that I speak. I don't I don't have multiple personalities. I'm not like this on stage and like this with with you. I'm like this all the time. Makes it much easier too. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> what, what's the title of your book, man? What is it going to be? I would say consistency over relevancy. All right. That sounds good. Hey, uh, I, I hate to close the segment out, but I just want to say thank you again for joining us. And, and it's been a blessing and an honor, man, to know your story, to know everything that you've done and what God is doing in your life. And, you know, just to put another you know, emphasis to this, Raul, you're 26 years old and everything that you have gone through, a lot of people, you know, can probably say, man, he must be in his thirties or forties, but in a case like yours, you know, yours kind of happened pretty rapidly. So we always want to honor God, of course, because everything that happened in our life is because of God, because of his grace and the faith that leads us back to Jesus is really the whole point of it. I just want to say, you know, I, I want to close this out. And I want to thank you. And hopefully you can come back on the show again whenever you have more time. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. So I want to close this out. You know, again, I want to invite people in the show who is ever, whoever is listening. They can always email us. They can always reach us in some way if they have any questions about you or questions about this ministry. You know, just a question in general that hopefully in this segment that got answered. If some people have questions about their faith, about their walk, something gets shed. And I know the Holy Spirit works in everything. So if anybody needs to reach us, they can go to projectmankindministries.com. They can also send an email directly to askprojectmankind at gmail.com. And a few things too, I want to say it out there, you know, best bodies for life. Dot com and then we have deeploveministries.org just to kind of put that out there so i want to close this out with a prayer brother jim do you mind closing us out yeah i'd love to thank you thomas thanks again raul for today lord god we look to you now we thank you for this time this good dialogue this good conversation it's been so uplifting and useful i think to me anyway and really motivating and inspiring it makes me ask lord what what do i do next to uh, to use what you've given me for 
for the kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that you will uh, move in us in such a way that you will apply what we take away from our conversation today and apply it uh, in such practical ways that those around us will see and benefit from that. Lord, keep us from believing that everything is about us and, and move us to believing that really everything is about you and show us how we fit into that. I echo the theme, consistency uh, over relevance. I thank you, Lord, that you put that idea into Raul's mind and heart and that he shared it with us today. Lord, keep it before us as we go from here and we ask that in everything we do, everything we think and say and, and believe that we may glorify you and honor you. We pray that that will be evident and we want our lives to be pleasing to you, Lord. And so um, be with us as we seek your face in that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Thank you, everybody, for this day, man. May God bless you all. See you again next time. You bet. Take care, guys. Take care. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you're listening on YouTube or other streaming platforms, make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss a new episode. To learn more about Project Mankind or interested in joining us in our next live gathering or events, visit us at www.projectmankindministries.com. It's time to break free from those bondage and claim your freedom and use the authority God has given you and learn to lead like a lion and reign like our king.